ball is high. It is far. It is gone to win the game. The Mets are on their way back. World champions for the 27th time. Home plate for all things Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. What's up, everybody? We are back talking baseball on another edition of Nosebleeds here on this Monday afternoon. Yankees sweep the Tigers to get back to 500. DeGrom and Cole named NL and AL Pitchers of the Month. Mets survive on Sunday night baseball in a wild one in Philadelphia. Here to get all of that and more, Nick DeLuca joined by Dylan Balsamo across my Zoom screen. Dylan, so much to unpack in what has been a pretty darn good first month of the season in the major leagues with the Mets and the Yankees finally picking things up. It absolutely has been. Uh, and great to see you as always, my friend. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because we see both the Yankees and Mets at 500 at this point. 14 and 14, the Yankees are. 11 11, the Mets are. And it's fascinating that regardless of that, they do seem to be two of, at this point at least, after this weekend, two of the most exciting teams in baseball. They're two of the teams that you want to watch. You know, when the Dodgers and Padres aren't playing, all eyes are on the Yankees and Mets. So it's very exciting. For sure. And it's been really nice to see the Yankees pick things up because they had struggled out of the gate and really were just not doing anything right. The offense was struggling. The starting pitching wasn't good. Maybe the bullpen was the saving grace for them early on, but they have done a much better job recently putting together better at bats. I know the results were not fantastic. Even yesterday, they win two to nothing and Tigers pitching retired 18 straight Yankees to close out that game. So by no stretch of the imagination were they firing on all cylinders offensively, but they do enough get the situational hitting. Kyle Higashioka has been one of their best hitters this entire year, which has been incredibly surprising for me and a team that you felt was going to have to rely on Gary Sanchez to get things going. And he really hasn't after a pretty good first week of the season And Higashioka has rightly so earned himself a ton more playing time because when he's in there, he is produced and and a big win for the Yankees to sweep the series, get back to 500 for the first time since April the 7th. And now you you feel like they're picking things up. And and the biggest reason for that is how well this turned through the rotation, their, their starters went. And they got some good stuff from Domingo Herman last time out. Corey Kluber goes six and a third against Baltimore into the seventh inning and then just absolutely shoved last time out, you know, yesterday against Detroit. He, he was outstanding. That was a vintage Corey Kluber performance. He goes eight innings, just the two hits allowed, 10 strikeouts, one walk. If the Yankees could get Corey Kluber to pitch the way he did and Domingo Herman to pitch better, you might have Luis Severino coming back at some point all behind Garrett Cole, who, as we mentioned, and we'll get to the American League Pitcher of the Month. This is a team that you you figure the bats are eventually going to come around. If they can pitch like this, they're going to be in really good shape. I know they're at 500 right now, but they should be good moving forward if they pitch the way they did yesterday. Every team would. Yeah, and you know, Nick, this is something I've noticed just to this point in the season with the, the first month we've played so far. Uh, and I'm sure you felt this way too, is uh, my, my perspective on, on the Yankees season is really 
is jumping from week to week more than I expected it to. I know because if you look at the outlook last week was a lot, lot worse, I think, than it was at this point. There was the, the question marks did not seem to be to really have answers at any point. But, you know, you talk about the bats picking up and moving in the right direction and, and, a, and a rotation that all of a sudden goes from, you know, you're going to win every five days when you got Garrett Cole on the mound to you got a pretty good at least first half of that rotation if things can get the way you want to with Domingo Herman and, and, you know, Corey Kluber being what the Yankees exactly expected out of him, worth whatever money he is worth statistically at this point. Um, so, you know, you look at things like that and you, and you go, okay, this is a Yankee team that is on a much better projectile at this point than, say, we might have thought a week ago. Perhaps you were a little more, uh, a little more stable in your, in your opinions on the Yankees from week to week. Well, it's just so early. That's the thing that I feel like is so important because when you overreact, it's the age-old and, and time-honored saying from our friend John Sterling, but it's baseball, Susan, and it's the reason that you play 162 games. And, and as I mentioned the last time, I, I believe it was last week when we were saying you have the propensity to overreact and maybe the 60 games a year ago might make you more inclined to do that because everything was so much more significant than it is this year, but you do have time. And, and these things do have a way of figuring themselves out when your, your team is as good as the Yankees are. The Yankees are just too talented to be a, a team that was going to be five games under 500. That's just not who they are. They have committed too much, to their roster and the, the players that they have penciled into the lineup card every day. Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton in the middle of your order is not a team that's going to lose. It's not a 500 team. That, that's just not the way that, that baseball works. And, and the Yankees have been so good for a long time, at least with this crew going back to 2017. So you have confidence that they'll be able to turn things around and you just have to be patient. It's something that Brian Cashman was out and preaching week one of the season when the Yankees didn't get off to the great start. But you, you'd like to see some more from them. It's not to say that they have been perfect. This lineup needs to start producing better. And that is, that is abundantly clear because they're not doing enough hitting-wise. And it's also fair to point out that the two teams that they have taken care of in winning five out of six – are the three, 13 and 15, rather, Baltimore Orioles and the 8 and 21 worst team in the American League, the Detroit Tigers. So we'll, we'll see how well they can continue this stretch. But at the same time, you play the teams that are on your schedule, and they could have lost to those teams, and they didn't. So an encouraging sign there. But I'm interested to see how this week goes for them, and in particular, the, the way that they will attack the Houston Astros coming into the Bronx with everything else that will be a distraction in the first time that Houston's been back since the cheating scandal broke and it's been a while and you know that the fans are going to be amped up, how well are they able to focus on the job at hand and do what needs to be done while working through it? It's something that you hear from the Yankees players on Zoom all the time. We're focused on winning the games. We're focused on improving. But that's the thing for me. That's the next step. The, the starting pitching has been great. And you've gotten it from Kluber and Garrett Cole, again, the American League pitcher of the month. But now where's that lineup? Can Aaron Judge 
after hitting the two home runs in that series earlier on, can he get rolling a little bit? Can Giancarlo Stanton, who is up to a nine-game hitting streak, continue to roll and, and find some more guys with Clint Frazier, who struggled, Aaron Hicks, who has struggled? Can Higashioka continue to play? When's Luke Voigt coming back? It's about the offense taking the next step for me. Yeah, well, there's a couple things worth uh, mentioning that you pointed out there. For, for one thing, you know, you look at uh, the Orioles and the Tigers, who uh, are the the losers of, of five of the last six overall against the Yankees, you could say. Um, and you could look at them as, as weaker teams, and, and you know, it's it's rather right to say they are. But here, here's the thing. Um, you know, you look at the last 10 years, um, specifically, you know, since you and I have been in the baseball consciousness, truly, um, as, as fans, if you will, uh, the, the Yankees have notoriously beaten up on the Orioles. We always see that. And I always like to say the Yankees always beat the Orioles except when they need to beat the Orioles. So to see, uh, to see victory against Baltimore, those are games you got to win. Those are games in your division. Uh, and it doesn't matter who, doesn't matter how good that opponent is. Those wins are wins. Those, uh, a, a win against, a win against the first place team is equal the same amount to a win against the last place teams. That's ever so important. And you mentioned the upcoming opponent uh, tonight in the Houston Astros, and and who knows what kind of what kind of fun things we're going to see over the next three days with this series in the Bronx. And you talk about it potentially being a distraction, and maybe it will be, but also there's a slight chance that for a team that is on an upward climb here, but is still in in need of some kind of invigoration, it seems to me, this series might be what does it. This might be the series that angers you enough to finally be playing this team in your home stadium, a team that arguably took a pennant away from you, uh, perhaps more than one, quite frankly. Um, it might be the thing that brings up enough anger. Maybe that'll result in a, in a fight or two. And, you know, at this point, that might just be what happens. Um, but that might be the thing that really sparks something in the Yankees and, and, and makes them an even better team as they continue to improve. Yeah, it could be just with the doctor ordered. I'm, I'm with you there. And if the Yankees are able to find success in this series against Houston, it could be something that could serve as a catalyst going forward and something to really ignite the rest of your season. And, and you wouldn't be surprised with that at all. Of course, the key is to win the games that are in front of you. So we'll see if they are able to achieve that. But if they get starting pitching the way that they got the, the last turn through the rotation, you, you feel like they should be in a really good position and speaking of the starting pitching of course mentioned Garrett Cole the AL pitcher of the month Jacob deGrom winning the honor in the National League and what was just an outstanding start to the season for him his brilliance on display for a Mets team that won two straight after losing three in a row earlier on in the week they come back to win on on Sunday night baseball and what was a wacky finish over the Philadelphia Phillies Reese Hoskins with a fly ball in the right field, Edwin Diaz in a four-run game almost gave it up, came within inches, but the ball off the top of the railing instead of over in right field. So Hoskins not given the home run, the eight for the Phillies taken off the scoreboard back to a seven. Hoskins in scoring position at second base, and then Bryce Harper striking out to end the ball game against Jerry's Familia because Diaz ended up leaving the game due to injury but just a, a wild finish. And I don't want to criticize Matt Vaskersian here, but I think he missed a golden opportunity to talk to A-Rod about knowing a thing or two about controversial home runs at Citizens Bank Park. Of course, he in the 09 <laughs> World Series 
hit the ball off the camera that was originally ruled a double that they went to review and, and then called a home run. So I thought that was a missed opportunity, but the Mets able to hang on in what was a topsy-turvy game and back to 500 and a lead in the NL East. Well, for one thing, depending on who you ask, A-Rod has hit hundreds of controversial home runs. But well, that's, fair. that's yeah, that's, but you know, one thing, another, that's, that's just how it goes. And, you know, um, this was, you knew this was going to be a tough series for the Mets because, you know, they have been struggling offensively to keep things consistent. Um, and, and this Philly team, you know, we, we talk a lot about the Braves as the potential winners of the National League East, as it seems to be right now. We talk about the Mets, uh, just they've been getting so much press nationally, I would say, over the last six months since ownership, new ownership took over. But we can't sleep on this Phillies team either. They're going to be good, and they, I think they're going to be good for most of the year. I think, you know, when you look at that NL wildcard game, uh, it's, I think it's going to end up being whoever loses the NL West, whether that be the Dodgers or the Padres, is probably going to play either the Mets or the Phillies at this point. I, I think Philadelphia needs to remain in that conversation, and that's something worth mentioning. But, you know, for this Mets team, this was a very in, important series. Um, and, you know, luckily over the last couple of days, they were able to get the offense going. And uh, I don't know how much you follow Mets Twitter, but there was something weird that happened over the weekend uh, in a post-game press conference the other day, Pete Alonso gave credit to a new hitting coach assistant uh, named Donnie Stevenson, who has credited the Mets. Now, there is no proof that this Donnie Stevenson person exists. There's speculation that it's just Pete Alonso in a mustache and a wig, which it might be. Um, but if that's the kind of <laughs> the kind of silly invigoration that the Mets need to get 17 hits like they did last night, then that's what it's going to take. The only problem is 17 hits and you lose by one run and a controversial call, that's a little odd, don't you think? So, you know, there are still problems to work out with the Mets, but, you know, similar to the Yankees, the, the offense does seem to be moving in a positive direction. Yeah, the thing that scares me about both of the teams that you were talking about last night in the Phillies and the Mets is the bullpen. Because the Mets come in with a four-run lead in the ninth inning, and Edwin Diaz, whether he was trying to pitch through an injury or not, that, that's got to be – just a slam dunk and why Jerry's familia didn't start that inning really doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And I, I, there are questionable decisions being made all over the place by Luis Rojas here, but I I just don't know how in back-to-back games you're using your closer in these situations where they're just non-safe situations. I I, I don't get it, but he's, he's doing what he's, what he's doing. And and in a four run game, he's going to bring in his closer after he worked the day before and, then Jerry's familia is is in and, and eventually slams the door for them. But that's the thing that's concerning. And then on the other side for Philadelphia, they just their bullpen imploded and Jose Alvarado walking in the go ahead run. David Hale comes in in the double by Alonso to really blow open the game for the moment and the Phillies stage the comeback. But these are two teams that you feel like are are doing pretty much everything else well enough to be a, a team that is in the mix for the postseason. But the, the bullpens are just they, – they scare you to death. And, yes, there are times where Philadelphia isn't hitting as well as you'd like or the Mets, as you mentioned, aren't hitting as well as you'd like. And the rotations have been good for the most part. I meant to mention that just, just for clarity's sake on the numbers of Jacob deGrom through the first month where he wins NL Pitcher of the Month, 35 innings, 
an 051 ERA, 59 strikeouts, and a whip of 057. Yeah, that's how good Jacob DeGrom was. It's it's insane how good this dude was o- over this first month of the season. But you know the Mets can go out and win any game that he is pitching, maybe not as confidently as otherwise you, you'd hope <laughs> with, with those types of numbers. They still unimaginably try and, and find ways to lose when he pitches. But you feel confident when he goes, and Marcus Stroman's been up and down, but the rotation has done enough. And, and the lineup, it's just it's baseball earlier in the season. You know it's going to fluctuate a little bit. That bullpen to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it, it does not inspire confidence. And, and if the Mets want to get to where you, you feel like the aspirations are, the, the lineup's going to have to find a little more consistency. But that bullpen in particular to me is something that scares me for them. No, I completely agree with you there, Nick. And, you know, you talk about, you know, the starting pitching, obviously, DeGrom is DeGrom. Marcus Stroman has been a little inconsistent, but for the most part on a, on a positive look, outlook for the season. David Peterson's put out some good starts for them as well in the three spot, but or the four spot, excuse me. But uh, rather, when you look at the bullpen, you know, you can attribute to early in the season as much as you want. Uh, but when, when the bullpen struggles early in the season, it's usually at least shadowed a bit by – by, by good management, by making the right moves, by, by knowing when someone's on a hot streak or not. You talk about questionable decisions by Luis Rojas. Uh, I completely agree with you. It just, you know, it seems like, it seems like he doesn't really know what he wants from game to game. It doesn't seem like from pitch to pitch, he really knows what he wants out of his team, uh, out of what decisions he needs to make, specifically in the bullpen. It's, it, it's rather peculiar to bring in your closer two nights in a row in non-save situations. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Um, so, you know, it's odd. And, you know, a lot of people attribute to him being a first-time big league manager. But in defense of his critics, he did get 60 games to try it out last year in 2020. So, you know, I, I, I'm not – I'm certainly not saying I'm giving up on Luis Rojas. Uh, but that's uh, – there's some questionable decisions that I don't know the reasoning for. No, but especially when they don't work out or then you're – closer who is to the IL I just think that it's going to get some questions and I I find this a little bit interesting so I want to run with it a a little bit but I I of course am not as uh, attuned to the pitch by pitch movements of of the Mets in the decision making but I would be curious because I I know that you're around them all the time and, and you're really closely following them on a day to day basis and hearing what he's doing to explain some of the moves that, that he is making in, in terms of stuff that might be eye-popping to me. But I, in reading the situation, feel like Luis Rojas is on an incredibly short leash. And, and it almost feels like, to me, the Mets had so much going on in the offseason with a new owner, and then Sandy Alderson's going to come in and run the baseball operation. They're looking for a new GM, and then everything happens with that new general manager that happens, and then they've got to do – that search all over again and figure out the way they want to go about things. They don't have an analytics department, so they feel like it's something that's really important to implement. And then all, all these organizationally structured things need to be taken care of. So they just say, okay, then, then Rojas is going to be our manager. I, I am of the belief that if they had some more, if it was an easier transition, if they did not have to build up from ground zero the way they did in the offseason, Luis Rojas very well may not be the manager for the Mets this year. And, and if they are not very good this year or, or 
fall short of the expectation of at least making the playoffs. I, I'm not so sure Luis Rojas is going to be around to, to get a third season and a third shot at this because some of this stuff just doesn't make a ton of sense. And I think the players like him. I think he's somebody who's respected in the clubhouse, but some of these decisions in the way the, the bullpen has been used are, are just things that I, I understand that you're a first time manager, but there are a lot of people who, who seem to be able to get this right the first time around. And I, I just don't see that from him right now. No, you're right. I don't see it either. And you know what a lot of it is, is, you know, is he'll make these decisions and then there's not a ton of explanation. There just really isn't. And you look at a decision like, um, like the fact that Jeff McNeil played yesterday when he had a slight injury that's now been worsened a little bit. You know, some people say he should have been on the IL like a couple days ago, quite frankly. So the decision to even play him this weekend is, is also worth questioning. But, you know, you bring up a really good point with Rojas being on a short leash and, and, and the ownership thing. You know, when, when Steve Cohen said when he officially bought the team at the big press conference and he says, give us three, three to four years. And there were a lot of Mets fans who were like, I, we don't think it's going to take that long. And, you know, the more you think about it through this season, and, and I was one of those people who was like, I don't think it's going to take that long. But, you know, the more you look at the season, you, you mentioned how, how much they had to build up. Um, and that needs to be taken into account. There's going, to be, there's going to be not only figuring out, like, who are the right people to hire, but what's the dynamic between things? What is the dynamic between the ownership and the president of baseball operations and the president and the general manager and the GM and the manager? I mean, you don't really have a stable general manager. That's another thing. And, you know, a lot of crazy things that happened this offseason. You know, you could even say the whole Wall Street disaster that happened over, uh, over the Christmas season somehow involved the Mets. Because, of course, it did. Every financial meltdown in this country somehow involves the New York Mets. So that's worth mentioning. But also, you know, th that dynamic is just as important to the result on the field as who it is you're going to hire. Um, so that's a, that's a tough thing. It's going to be, it's difficult for probably more so a manager, um, an on-field manager than perhaps maybe anyone else in the organization to shift their duties between ownership because it's like a four levels of, of figuring things out. The relationship between the owner and the president, between the president and the GM, between the GM and the manager. It's like a whole, it's like, it's like all these four different levels before you get what your assignment really is as a manager. So that's, it's, it's something that needs to be worked out. I also agree with you that maybe, maybe he won't be the best fit for the New York Mets after this season. Um, but yeah, so to, to finally be successful is going to take some time. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see how they figure things out. I wanted to get into a, a little bit uh, of the Mets roster too and, and ask a, a question specifically about Francisco Lindor and where we are at right now with some of the the panic meter for him because it was a rough first month of the season and I'm on the record preaching patience and somebody who Francisco Lindor is is incredibly talented and you feel like he's in a good position to turn things around as as someone who's been so good for his career but I do feel like it is worth mentioning that through 22 games in a Mets uniform he is batting 171 with a homer and three RBIs. I saw something funny on, on Twitter, actually, and someone who was advocating that the Mets should assign George Springer. And Springer, in his first two games, ended up hitting a home run with Toronto and had matched the totals for both 
Francisco Lindor in home runs and then Michael Conforto in RBIs through the first two games of his <laughs> Blue Jays career, which I thought was pretty funny. He's on base at 289, his OPS plus at 46. So it, it's been a struggle for him. He's hearing some of the boos, certainly not something he was accustomed to in Cleveland. And at another guy here who I, I, I think it's way too early to compare him to Edwin Diaz. They are two different players, but guys who have struggled in the transition, at least early on and, and wondering how worried you might be uh, or, or feel like he, he, how close he is to turning this thing around. You, you know, it's, it's interesting because uh, a, a lot of the talk as soon as the trade was made for Francisco Lindor in New York is all right. Now we got to, now you got to extend him, make sure he sticks around. Um, and, and it's something worth mentioning is, you know, some people, when they get that big extension, it's not a problem. They're able to just continue at the production level they are. But some people, it, it's going to be different. Because when you think about it, this is a, that's a lot of money he got in this contract. Hundreds of millions of dollars. It's more money than he's probably ever, as anyone would imagine, probably ever been around in his life. And that that probably changed his lifestyle quite a bit along with also moving across the country. So th there, there is an adjustment in that first month. I agree with you in, in preaching patience as I, as I, I try to in, in baseball and in my own life, but it's very difficult. So, um, you know, I, uh, I also want to give Francis Lindor that, that benefit of the doubt of like his lifestyle just completely changed. There's a lot of money around him now that was not there before. And that has a certain effect on a person, I imagine psychologically and all these different types of things. So um, there's a little bit of time that's needed, but you know, I would say after another couple of weeks of, of nothing, that's when you start to have concerns, I would say. Yeah, I, I think he'll turn it around, and that was, was the point I was making. I was curious what, what your thoughts were on it because I know that there's a propensity to overreact, and, and that's where a lot of fans will go, especially for Mets fans who have really been through a lot, and you get to the new ownership, and you're excited about, oh, now our team has the ability to finally be good, and really the, the prized – acquisition for them and somebody who was at the forefront of all the change and look at this how great it is that we can bring in a player of this caliber from from the Mets organization perspective it's it's likely frustrating for them to see Lindor struggle the way he has but at the same time he'll he'll likely turn it around and and nobody is necessarily where they're at or, or hoping where they will be at the end of the season, at least early on. And that's easy to say with both the Yankees and the Mets as, as things progress, at least early on in this, in this first season. And we had a couple injury notes as we were talking, Dylan. So I wanted to get to those just for a second. Announced that uh, Dustin May, the starter for the Los Angeles Dodgers, is going to need Tommy John surgery. Also, Luis Robert may miss significant time with a hip injury for the Chicago White Sox. The Yankees will see them in a couple weeks around graduation time at Fordham. I believe they're, they're the, the Friday night, the 20th uh, into Yankee Stadium. But a couple of big injuries around Major League Baseball as well and a big blow to the Dodgers starting rotation that had not lived up to necessarily the, the billing and their offense has, has struggled a bit too. It's, it's kind of striking 
actually, because you, you mentioned this and, and we can maybe wrap on this too, but the Dodgers or, well, no, it's, it's going to be the Mets really, or the, the Braves, whoever wins the, the NL East would be in a position to, to play whoever does not win the NL West, the Dodgers or, or the Padres, the Giants actually leading the NL West right now. But the Dodgers at 17 and 12, and, and that's, a, that's a big blow because they've struggled swinging the bats. But I'm just I'm, – that, that is a big blow and, and something that's really disappointing to hear because Dustin May is, is really fun to watch. Yeah, it's, it's disappointing. You know, it, it, injury, injury news is never fun. I've never, <laughs> I've never been happy with an injury result. But, you know, like you say, Dustin May is, is, is a fun player to watch. The, just in a division that's fun to watch right now. So to watch anyone have to step out of that is, is, is difficult to see. So, you know, you, you hope that doesn't have an enormous effect. Um, but it might. You know, it, it, it all comes down to the rest of the staff the pitching staff specifically uh, picking themselves up by their own bootstraps and, and, and getting things done, um, which you hope as the season progresses again, we're only a month in, like we keep saying that will happen. Dodgers in a good position to handle the injury. Of course, David Price was sitting in their bullpen and while not what he once was not a bad person to potentially be able to turn to, to pick up a couple of starts Red Sox in first place in the American league East at 17 and 12 Yankees, Two and a half games back, the Royals leading the AL Central, the A's atop the AL West, the Mets and Nationals in a tie in the NL East, the Brewers leading the NL Central. And as I mentioned, it's the Giants atop the NL West, the Dodgers with the tough injury news just a half game back. That uh, That's going to wrap it up for us. This week's edition of Nosebleeds, you can catch us every week on iTunes wfuvsports.org or wherever you get your pods. Nick DeLuca and Dylan Balsamo saying thanks for hanging out with us. Enjoy baseball this week.